well, on the one Sunday that I should be talking about love, I'm not going to do it. Some of you are so excited about that. My wife said, how long are you going to talk about love? You need to get over it. I'm over it. Not really. I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. How many of you, and you, know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you'd like. How many of you would kind of be nervous if I just showed up at your front door unannounced? Okay, I got one that's honest. Okay, there we go. Now they stop popping up. Once we have one honesty, ah, well, you know, we'll, I'll be honest. You know, how many of you would, how many, how many of you like people just to show up at your house to kind of come in, you know, without any preparation whatsoever? Some of you, some of you do, but the large majority of us in this room, you kind of want to have a, a warning. Do you not want to know a warning if someone's going to come in, somebody's going to bring their family? Is that not true? Yeah, and, when, and, and here's the reason why, because um, if, if, like, you come to, to my house, um, you're liable to see bits of popcorn on the floor and a lot of other things on the floor that we really wouldn't want the public to see uh, because we kind of live in our house. Now, I know some of you, some of you live in museums, uh, and some of you live in those museums where you don't really touch things and everything's in its proper place, and all bets are off if you have children. Now, if you don't have children, you have no excuse not to have a clean house. But if you have children, you have teenagers, uh, any, anything like that, any animals like that, uh, then, you know, your house is going to be a wreck. But when you and I invite people over to our house, if I invite you over, I'm going to make sure that several things are clean. Number one, the only bathroom in our house is going to be spick and span. You could lick the bowl if you wanted to. I mean, that's, that's how clean I want to make it. And I, I'll make sure that there's like potpourri in there, a nice smell scent, because, you know, anything that goes in the bathroom smells good. You know what I'm saying? And so we want to make sure that that's taken care of before you arrive. I'll also make sure that the, 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 the pillows are fluffed on the couch and that everything's nice, that the carpet looks vacuumed. If, even if it hasn't been vacuumed, I'll make sure it looks vacuumed uh, or whatnot. To kind of put out our best, you know, we want to not necessarily impress you, but we want to put our best best foot forward and that's the kind of thing that we do when we invite people to our home now there's a couple of rules of engagement when you invite someone to your home and uh, many of you have invited me into your home and I don't know I, I don't know this to be true I don't think I've had a tour of anybody's bedroom yet I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think I've had a tour of anybody's bedroom. When people have invited me to their home or my family home, they don't typically take us, you know, we kind of knock on the door, we enter, and then they take us to the bedroom. That just doesn't happen. Uh, they don't take us to the closet that no one wants to know, that, no one, that you don't want to know, uh, you don't want anybody else to know that's there. You don't take us to any of the, the back rooms where you have quickly ran through the house grabbing things and throwing them in the room and shutting the door to pretend like no one's going to darken that. See, I know all the tricks because I commit them myself. And so, so when you come to my house, and we only have like three rooms, and I'll never take you to my basement because we still have like 3,200 boxes that have yet to be unpacked, along with spiders and crickets and everything else. Oh, my. So anyway, um, I tell you that because when you invite someone to your home, you put your best foot forward, you make sure that you've got your ducks in the row, and there's kind of some rules of engagement. You don't necessarily take them to your bedroom when you first get to know them. Now, uh, you know, you may not ever take them to your bedroom, and that'd probably be a good idea. But at any rate, when you first are getting to know someone, you welcome them to your home, you kind of meet them in your parlor or in your foyer, whatever you want to call it, and then you take them into the den where they will sit. If they're lucky enough, they may get invited back again, and that means that you might move from the den in more to a family room 
and then finally you might get the opportunity to sit at the dinner table and to dine. That to me is one of the greatest expressions of hospitality is when people invite you to their home to eat. Now some of you say, well, I think it's more, I think it would be even better if you take them out to eat. Anybody can take anybody out to eat. But if you've ever noticed about conversation out to eat, it's radically different than conversation that happens around a dinner table in the comforts and confines of a home. There's nothing like a home. What are the rules of engagement, though, when it comes to the church? What are the rules of engagement when it comes to this spiritual walk that we talk about when we speak about Christ and what He has invited us to and what God has invited us to join Him in a story that's greater than the story that we find ourselves in today? It is His story. It is His creation. He is the one that authors the beginning and the end. And He is the one that's writing the table of contents in the book of our life. He is inviting us into a relationship, in an intimate relationship with Him. And in that intimate relationship, while we are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ, while we are compelled through the power of the Holy Spirit to love other people, He has called us not only to love people, but He's called us this morning to invite people just as we have been invited. We've not only been invited to God's front door, we've not been invited just to His den, we've been invited to dine with Him at a table that has been set for us since the creation of the universe. God has always had everyone on His mind and His hope is that everyone will show up at dinner time, that everybody will show up at the dinner that he's going to throw. Now, what I would say to you today is since that guest list is not fully complete because not all have accepted Christ, there are a lot of seats that are vacant at the table. Some of you have chosen to be invited and you've showed up early. See, I believe that if you have an appointment at 11 o'clock, you need to be there at 1045. If you have an appointment at 1130, you need to be there at 1115. You need to be there 15 minutes early so in case something happens, you're at least going to arrive on time. To me, being on time is to be 15 minutes early. Some of you have never gotten that point, have you? God's okay with us showing up early. He doesn't want us to show up late. Because late is too late. And so many of you have signed up and if you have accepted his invitation to join a life that's in him and through him. And so you are sitting at the table and you're waiting for others to arrive. And the problem with that illustration is the fact that God never called us just to sit at the table waiting on the king to come in. God has instructed his church while we have been invited, while we have confirmed, we have RSVP'd, we have said we are going to be there. It is our job between now and the time of that great dinner for us to go out and invite others to join the dinner as well. Because in this dinner, God's invitation is open to all people. And so when you and I, based on Isaiah chapter 55, when we invite people, we must invite without any expectations. You and I are very good at coming up with a list of expectations about the people, let's just say for example, that we would invite into our home. There are certain groups of people that you and I probably would not invite into our home. I'm not going to have you make a list, but I just want to kind of get you 
thinking in terms of what type of people would you not invite in your home? Those are the very people that God wants to have at his dinner table. So we, as we invite people into this fellowship of God, as we invite people not just to come to church, because it's not about attending church, it's about becoming incorporated into the body of Christ, about receiving Christ and making him known throughout our community. We invite people without any expectations. You look at Isaiah chapter 55, the Bible says, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine. Boy, that's Baptist, isn't it? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The invitation is for everyone. The rich, the poor, and for everybody in between. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you ha don't have any money, come. The invitation is open to everyone to come and dine with the king. Now, in my younger years, which I'm still young, but I can clarify that and say that there were some younger years that I had. In my younger years, when I was these kids' ages, I, I think I've shared some of this before, but uh, I didn't hang out with hoodlums. Do you know what hoodlums are? What, what are hoodlums? Y'all are afraid to answer. What, are hood, what do hoodlums look like? Be honest. Somebody be honest. What, what, do hood, what do hoodlums look like? They look like him? They look like you? I didn't ask you to call each other names. For me, hoodlums were anybody that didn't hang in my social circle. Because I wasn't a hoodlum. Uh, for me, hoodlums were anybody that dressed in black. Did you all know that the person I married dresses in black at least 98% of the time? My little hoodlum, I love you. Oh, my story and my journey have taken so many curves. A hoodlum was anybody that I would not socialize with. They were, we called them hoods. They were people that we didn't think had a chance. They didn't have any goals. They didn't have any ambitions. They were usually the class clowns. They were the people that were not at school to learn, which many of you may be at school not to learn. You're just there kind of because the law says you have to go. Uh, but hopefully you'll catch that because I know one thing. All of you want to do something. All of you want to make some greenbacks. Am I not right? All you want to make some money in life. You're not going to get there by not applying yourself. The only way you're going to get there is by doing your absolute best. And here's what else I want you to know. Just when you think that you're the best that you can be, there's always going to be somebody else that's better than you. So use those individuals to capitalize on your own initiative, to capitalize on your own character, to capitalize on your own deficiencies, and make the most out of what God God has given you. When you and I are called to invite, we're not called to come up with a list of who's in and who's out. We're very good at doing that in Southern Baptist life. For instance, I'll give you a prophetic, uh, a, a prophetic word about this. Did you know that when you want to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, there's one criterion through which we are evaluated as a church? Does anybody know what that is? Do what? Not offering. Nope. Good try. I mean, that, that's important. They want to know that too. The one criterion that when I have to sign up to go to the Southern Baptist Convention is that I do not endorse, I do not accept, I do not promote, nor does my church promote a homosexual lifestyle. 
And what I want to say to that is, is that really the criterion through which our churches should be measured? Is that the criterion? And here, here it is. Southern Baptist leadership, listen up. Is that really the criterion that you want when we go out into the world? That's the criterion by which we're evaluated? I can remember a number of years ago, there was a church uh, in, uh, in, a, in the town where I was pastoring, and it came up in the associational meeting, and a motion was made in that associational meeting to uh, basically bar that church from participating in associational life because they allowed, get this, they allowed homosexuals to come to their church. To which I made a counter motion that we expel all churches that have reported no baptism in the last calendar year. Let's let the main thing be the main thing. When you and I are interested in signing up for what God's story is, when you and I are interested in, in really involving ourselves and immersing ourselves into His call, into His word, into His way, we're not going to pay attention of what kind of people come to the invitation. What we're going to pay attention to is the God who is called the God who is given opportunity, and the God who can radically transform and save people, save them just like he saved you and me. We've got to be about the business of inviting all people. And I've said it before that sometimes when we think about all people, it's easy to give lip service to that. But when we start unpacking that, what all means, we can easily come up with our own list of people that we don't kind of feel that much comfortable with. We're kind of bothered by it. It used to really bother me with people that dyed their hair. <laughs> now I've got pink and purple going on in the room. That's awesome. Because God taught me a long time ago that people can be as artistic as they want to on the outside. And just because they're artistic on the outside and just because they do things that I wouldn't do, although I did have my hair orange a couple months ago, what really matters is what's here. What really matters is what's here. Not that you and I come and attend a church and dress in a blazer and a button-up shirt, which I do every Sunday, but that we come just as we are, hungry and thirsty and seeking the sovereignty of God. Now listen, I'm not talking about diminishing the reverence that we have for God. I'm talking about increasing the reverence and holiness that we have for God as a result of being able to invite all people to the table. What you and I must understand too is not everybody that's going to get an invitation is going to accept that invitation. It is not our problem that they don't accept. But it is our job to invite. It is our job to invite the people that we absolutely, for all, for all sake of purpose, for the most part, we've given up on. And each one of us has those category of people. Maybe somebody has failed us time and time again in relationship. We're like, I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm done with them. Well, is God done with them? I don't think so. See, God is never finished with his work until he announces it's finished. Now, his work in salvation is done, and it's finished on the cross in the person of Jesus. We all know what Jesus said on the cross. But his work in this time and this space that we occupy is not done until every single person has been invited to join him in what he's going to do. 
an invitation to join and dine with the king. When you and I invite people, we don't get to choose who. We don't get to choose how. We don't get to choose what they look like. We don't get to choose how they talk. We don't get to choose how they live. The invitation does not have a stigma attached to it or a qualification attached to it that their life has to be in order or they have to live a holy, godly life when the invitation goes out. The invitation goes out to every single sinner, just like you and me, and everybody and anybody, even those who are radically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean they shouldn't get an invitation. Some missionaries told me one time that when they were on site doing missions, that other missionaries ostracized them because they chose to spend their time engaging with Muslims, that they chose to spend their time engaging in the people around them that so desperately needed Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When missionaries don't think that other missionaries should be spending time with those who are lost, there's a problem with the mission. Our mission is very simple. It is very straightforward. It is to go and throughout the entire world spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, discipling people in the way of the cross, and inviting them into a relationship with the God who loves them, with the God who can save them, with the God who created them, and a God who has their future in His hand. When we invite people, we need to invite without expectations. What are we inviting them to? Well, we're not inviting them, and I would say not only spiritually, but also even we invite people to church. Don't invite people to church because it's an event. See, an event happens and then it's done. What we are inviting people to even goes further than saying it's an experience because that too can wane and an experience we can have in the moment and then as we get away from that moment of experience, it loses its faculties, it loses its ability to speak in our lives, to impact our lives. No, what we are inviting people to, we are inviting people to be satisfied. Because that is something that will resonate with every single human being. And that is a desire to be filled with something, a yearning. You see, when God created us, God created us with something that needed to be filled with Him. And when you and I try to fill that void with anything but Him, it's going to leave us thirsting and hungering after more and more and more and more. And we are never satisfied until we are satisfied in Him. See, we even have a baby that's hungry already. We have to be satisfied in Him. We are inviting people to be satisfied in Him. The way we do that is by saying, would you like to come? Have you ever, are you, have, have you ever yearned for something and you feel like there's everything that you've gotten, it's never, it's never really completed you? 
Have you reached a point where you feel like you've tried this and you've tried that? You've had this relationship and that relationship. You tried this gadget and that gadget. You bought this technology and that technology. This said that would make you feel better. And nothing that you have done has ever made you feel any better. In the end, it was a temporal experience. In the end, it was a temporal satisfaction. And then you can say, I want to offer you more, more of something that will satisfy you for the longevity. Now the difficulty in the church is the church has often offered experiences and events that leave us hungry in the end. The church has often capitalized and managed its ministries of success through numbers rather than through life change. Discipleship is not as much about numbers as it is about life change, life transformation. That is when we go from being lost to being saved, and then another part of that, lost, saved, and on the road of discipleship, a road of suffering, a road of learning, a road of spirituality, a road of spending time with God, with the God who called us, the God who has saved us, and the God who desires us to be at his table to dine with the king. We're inviting people to be satisfied. But you and I spend so much of our lives for things that don't last. We spend our resources on things that don't last. We need to spend our lives on something that will outlive them. And that gets to my point, seniors, when we talk about legacy. Your legacy is not what is included in your will. It's not what you're going to leave your children. It's not what you're going to leave your grandchildren monetarily, property, or otherwise. Your legacy is your involvement in their lives spiritually to speak the truth of God, to be a sound of reason in the midst of storms and chaos, and to always be and to mimic and to embody Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, which is as much a story of a prodigal father who sits and is constant and is always there, always waiting on the son to come home to accept the invitation to live as a son rather than a slave. That's the invitation of God. Don't ever give up on your children or your grandchildren. Your legacy is not about money. Your legacy is not about being a great philanthropist. Your legacy is about what you are passing to your children and your grandchildren as a result of your constant encounter with the Almighty. Because this is what I know. Being wheeled property and being wheeled money sounds wonderful to the recipient. But in the end, it again will leave you thirsty and hungry for more and more and more. I often ask professionals, how much is enough? How much money do you need to make before it's enough? And the common cliche answer is, one more dollar than I'm making today. It's always more, always one more. How much is enough? And at what sacrifice are you and I willing? What are we willing to lay at the altar of the eternal for the sake of what is temporary? 
You cannot buy more time with your family. You cannot buy more time with your children. You can't buy more time, period. We all have the same amount. We've all been blessed with the wealth of God and with the wealth of time. It's what we do with our time. If you tell me I didn't have time to do such and such, I'll tell you, you didn't take the time to do such and such because it was not a priority. The importance of your legacy. Spending time with your kids. This was amazing. Yesterday, I was tired. I've been tired all weekend. I don't know why, other than the fact I stay up late every night. And um, watching Blue Bloods on television, which I've now finished that whole series, so I had to get a new series last night. But yesterday afternoon, we came home from Sam's. By the way, do not go to Sam's on Saturday. Not a good idea. Came, uh, came home from Sam's. And the kids wanted to play outside. I'm so tired. And so I go outside, and we wrestle. I mean, we wrestle in the grass. I'm throwing my daughter. I mean, I'm like, Phew! you know, throwing her, <laughs> throwing her to the side. And we had fun for about two or three hours. Now, to me, it's no big deal. It's nothing. There's no great rocket science about it. It's not amazing. But I will tell you what's amazing. Last night, when I put her down to bed, she said, Daddy, I love you. Thank you so much for playing with me today. And it dawned on me, how often do I not play with her? How often do I go through my Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, which Wednesday is, gosh, it's a, an amazing day. It's always a horrendous day. How often do I go through my life missing out on the ordinary, extraordinary opportunities because I'm too busy doing things for God? Quit doing things for God. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. Quit doing things for God and start being for Him. Being present for Him. Being present to your kids and your families. Listen, we have Sunday evening service, and I've said, if you don't want to come on Sunday evening, that is fine. Family, it's a perfect time for families to come to church. But here's, I want you to hear this, family. If you're going to take that time to spend time with your family, do it with my blessing and the church's blessing. Don't show up here to take away from family time that you can have a home. And you say, well, you don't want us to show up. Well, you can't have family time at church. You can have family time at church. But sometimes I see you all, I see some of you all more than I see Jesus. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. We're so busy doing church. I don't want you to feel guilty when you're out. I don't want you to feel guilty when you take necessary time with your family to invest in them. Why? Because God has called you to your spouse. God has called you to your children. God has called you to your family. And if you lose them, You've lost everything. Take the time to spend with God. Take the time to spend with family and invest yourself with them. And as you invest yourself with them, take the opportunities to give the invitation. Invite them into faith in Christ. Invite them into a life that's better than theirs. We're inviting people to be satisfied. The importance of the legacy that we leave. We're also inviting them, finally, to experience life. To experience life like they have never seen it before. Verse 3 of chapter 55, give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. God's desire is that you live and flourish in Him. We do not come alive until 
we are touched by the presence of God. Now, I know for those of you who are biologists, you say, oh, that's not true. There are people that are breathing. They're biological. You don't come alive until you are touched by the presence of God. You can be biologically living and spiritually dead on arrival. And there are so many people in our community that are living just like that. We are inviting people to experience life. We invite people to dine and delight in the best affair. We are inviting people to dine. We are inviting people to sit with us, with God, and to have the greatest buffet that you and I could ever partake of. We are inviting people to begin living life anew. Some of us need refreshed. Some of us need renewed. Some of us need to be radically transformed by the power of Christ through the work of His grace, through our faith and trust in Him. What do you need today? Do you need more courage to invite people into this relationship that many times you and I have taken for granted? What do you need today? Do you need a Savior? You thought you had it, but you don't because you had it rather than having Him. You had an idea of who He was rather than having the substance of who He is. You've been saved by religion, supposedly, but listen, religion doesn't save. You can know all the facts of the Bible, know all the truths of the Scripture, know all the doctrines, can cross your T and dot your I, and you still will enter the presence of hell because it's not about what you know. It's about who knows you and whom you are known by. Jesus Christ has died for you. Do you need Him? Is the invitation today something that you need Him? Maybe the invitation today is God has burdened you with someone that you just can't let go of. There's someone in your life, in your path, in your circle, at your workplace, in your school, wherever it might be, that you know is not in right relationship with God. You know for a fact that they're not living right, and they need to be radically changed by Him. And maybe, just maybe, what you say today is, I need encouragement and strength to invite them. Maybe some of you would say, what is it that I need? What is it that I need? I need more than anything. I need Him. I feel so detached from Him. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm in a desert. I feel like that I'm all alone. I feel like I'm an island unto myself. What I need so much of is I need Jesus. This is His invitation. He invites you to come just as you are. You come thirsty, you come hungry, you come having no money, you come just as you are, you come in your rags, you come in your goodness, you come in your badness, you come with your perfection, you come with your imperfection, you come with your sin, you come with every nook and cranny of all that you are, of everything that you embody, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. You come with all the nastiness and the closet space that you don't want anyone to enter in. You come with the back room that's filled with garbage, you come in the bedroom with everything that's filled with garbage, and you come just as you are to Him. And this is what He's going to do. He's going to take you, and he's going to say to you, you are blessed. 
You are blessed because I have chosen you. You have not chosen me. You are blessed because I created you for more than what you're finding yourself in your life today. I've created you for far more than you could ask or imagine. And I want to do amazing things through you. If you'll simply accept my invitation. So however God is leading, however he is speaking, however the invitation goes out. I don't think any of you don't want to dine with the king. (laughs) When all is said and done, when life comes to an end for each of us, we want to make sure that we've made the right decision. We want to make sure that we have a seat at the table. I don't want to be on his right or his left. I just want to be at the table. That's all that matters. He's got a place for you. He's got a plate for you. A place of prominence. Your name card is sitting on that table awaiting for your arrival. The power of decision is in your hands. Do you accept the invitation? Do you say, "Ah, I'm going to wait. I'll get the next party on the next go around. Or do you respond with a commitment and a zeal and a fervor to believe what he said, to accept his love, to accept his grace, to accept his invitation and have a real life transforming moment that will take you from the here and now into eternity. Not with just head knowledge, but with a completely transformed heart. Because when it comes down to it, at the heart of the matter, is the matter of the heart. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that your invitation isn't based on certain criteria. That we can respond to you exactly where we are today. For some of us, baggages and baggages of hurt and pain and sin. For others of us, just a numbness that won't go away. We are neither for or against. We just are kind of blah going through life. For some of the rest of us, we need a good shock of God's power and encouragement to invite people just as we've been invited. That you might give us ears to come and listen. That we might live that we might accept your everlasting promise to us that you would never leave us or forsake us, that in Christ all things can be made new. Lord, breathe into us the freshness of your grace. God, cleanse us where we have fallen short. Help us to hear your still, small voice that's speaking in these moments. Father, may we not push you away. But may we be embraced by you. Forgive us, Lord, for making a list of people that are worthy to receive you and those who are not. Forgive us for, for, for moving in certain ways with certain people, but not moving with others. Forgive us for giving up on our loved ones or friends or people that we've known because they've never jumped through the hoop that we created for them. God, it's not about jumping through the hoop. It's about accepting your invitation. 
Now, Lord, as we come into our invitation, it is an invitation for each of us to respond appropriately. For some of us, we might say, I need Jesus. For others, we might say, I need strength or encouragement. For others, we might say, I just need, I don't know what I need, but I need something more than what I have today. That emptiness, that cloud, that darkness that has enveloped your life, that pain and that hurt, the God-awful pain that won't go away, the solution to it will begin when you turn the page of your life allowing Him to write your table of contents, allowing Him to write your beginning and your end. You can't change where you've been, but you can change every page from this point on. The power of decision. The power of decision is the greatest gift that God has given. Because in the decision, we choose to be loved or we choose not to be loved by Him. But regardless of what we choose, He continues to pour His blessings. He continues to pour His love onto us as a people who, are half, who have a, half, a half-baked idea of whom to thank. Lord, in this place, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will move in this invitation. May we be obedient. May we respond. May we seek your face. Many of us need to be at this altar asking for forgiveness for our sins, praying for others that need repentance, praying for others that need to forgive themselves as well as to accept the forgiveness of God. May the words of Isaiah chapter 55 resonate with us in this invitation. Come, those of you who are thirsty. Come, those of you who are hungry, come, those of you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Eat what is good and delight in the richest affair. Give ear and listen to me that you may live. May that be the heartbeat of our decision as we are invited into an amazing journey with Him. Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to make whatever decision, whatever that decision might be, this altar is open. As Jesse leads us in the hymn of invitation, the song of invitation, won't you respond, won't you come just as you are, all mired up, warts and all, won't you just come? Because everybody in this room has issues, everybody in this room has warts, everybody in this room has things that they don't want to discuss in the public mind, but it's in God's mind. And it's that thing that won't go away in hours, that lack of surrender, that lack of commitment, that lack of making Jesus Christ Lord over everything, Lord over all or not Lord at all. Won't you come? Won't you respond? Hear the still small voice of God and pursue Him with all that you are. Run to Him with the greatest of expectations. He will change your life. Won't you come?